So let's go ahead and pray. God, we pray that you would speak to our hearts through your word. We pray that you would just um, open us up. God, we want to receive what you have for us. And um, we want to glorify you. So please just, uh, just do your work and uh, have your way with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going through the Bible in a year. This week, we covered Psalm 24 to Psalm 61. Next week, we're going to cover Psalm 62 to Psalm 94. So we're really hitting um, pretty massive chunks uh, of Scripture at a time, and it may not even be as much uh, in terms of, it might not have as high of a word count as we did when we were in Leviticus or Deuteronomy or whatever, but Psalms can be a little tricky when you start reading a bunch of them back to back because they are all songs, right? Psalms is the songbook of the nation of Israel. And so it can be a little hard to, you know, to, to try and say, okay, I'm in Psalm, you know, 46, and that one's all about this, and now I'm in Psalm 47, and it's all about this. And um, so as you're doing that, don't beat yourself up if it, they start to run together a little bit. Um, or maybe I should say I, sh- I don't beat myself up if they run together. Um, but with that, okay, as, as we're reading it, try and do be mindful that, you know, the Lord still wants to speak to us. And so don't just, don't let the, uh, maybe the lack of narrative just make you gloss over and jump through it without pausing to say, okay, Lord, what do you want to say? Um, so, I mean, because I'm, you know, there is a reality that there is sometimes Psalms is, uh, when you're reading Psalms all in a chunk like this, it can be hard to really get everything out of each psalm. Um, but with that, the Lord wants to speak to us, right? And so you'll notice as you're reading, especially if you're approaching with this heart of God, I, I want to hear from you. I want to see what you have to say to me. Um, the Lord's going to speak to you. And the Lord loves to answer the prayers of his children. And when we say, God, speak to me, the Lord will speak to us. And... Um, so there's that. And then just, you know, if something really jumps out at you in the Psalms, pause on it, right? Really let it meditate on it and just kind of let it soak in. I really love, um, I heard Ken Graves a past, is a pastor in Maine. And I heard him say one time, if there's a verse that really hits you, um, go back and read it again and put a different emphasis on each word every time, okay? So Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. And if you read that and they're like, wow, that really is standing out to me. Okay, now, wait, wait, what's it really saying? Okay, be still and know that I am God. So what is that, how would that, how would that apply, right? Okay, now be still and know that I am God. What does that mean? Okay, so I understand what it means to be still before the Lord. What does it mean to know who the God is, right? Be still and know that I am. Okay, oh, so now I've got God describing himself. So what does it mean when I'm being still and resting in the presence of God? What does it mean when I'm knowing God personally? What does it mean when I am is revealing himself to me, right? Be still and know that I am God. What is the word? We'll talk about that a little bit tonight, actually. You know, what does the word God mean? What's entailed in that? You know, it's three letters, but it's a lot more than three letters. And so if something stands out to you, I just want us to have some... um, yeah, I want us to be equipped with some, just some practical thoughts. Of, um, it is a lot of reading, and I am very aware of that reality, okay? But just as we're going through it, the Lord still wants to use it. He wants to speak to us, and there's some incredible richness in the Psalms. Um, so with that tonight, we're going to just look at um, one Psalm. We're going to look at Psalm 27. And if you want to go ahead and turn there, we'll get ready to read out of it. Um, I initially wasn't planning on teaching out of 27 at all. I kind of 
through the week, had my mind, like, I think this is what I want to share on. And then I sat down this morning to kind of put my notes together and realize that really doesn't, that's nah, really not, I don't think that's, no. Uh, so anyways, uh, so at that point I was praying about it and I think the Lord kind of directed me to Psalm 27. Um, that's the thrill of trying to hear from the Lord is it's always an adventure. And if you get to the end of the teaching the night and you say, I don't know who told him to do Psalm 27, but it wasn't the Lord. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's a possibility too. Um, but it's always, you know, we'll see what happens. So, um, so Psalm 27, verse 1. A psalm of, so psalm 27, a psalm of David, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? So David opens up. Okay, his first thought, the first place your brain goes is the Lord. And that is a great way to open up just about anything, right? I mean, David, you know, David was a pretty emotional guy in his Psalms. David was very honest and transparent with his feelings and with his struggles. But here in Psalm 27, David opens up and says, the Lord. And so as a listener, your brain has to go to the Lord, right? And he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, God lights up what I need to see, and God saves me. Whom shall I fear? And then he says, the Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? So he gives us three things about the Lord. The Lord is our light, the Lord is our salvation, and the Lord is the defender of our life. So David is giving us a pretty clear stance here. Okay, here's who I'm trusting in. And even conversely, here's what I'm not going to let happen. I'm not going to fear and I'm not going to dread. And so we see this where David is anchoring himself to the Lord, right? And here, but here's what's important. When you anchor something, when you anchor yourself to something, that anchor is only as good as the anchor, right? If I'm on a destroyer and my anchor is only a foot wide, it doesn't matter how well that anchor bites into the ocean floor, right? That destroyer just isn't going to stay put, right? Um, the, your, your faith is only as good as the object of your faith. Right? I remember talking to a, uh, a Jewish gentleman years ago, and he had a very uh, liberal take on Judaism. So um, if you're picturing Orthodox Judaism, just kind of flip it, and that's about where he was at. And he more or less held to the philosophy that if you believe anything hard enough, it's true. And I remember we were talking, and... I had heard this from somebody else. I said, so what you're telling me is if you're convinced you can walk across the interstate and a semi won't hit you, it won't hit you. Or that if it does, you'll be fine, right? And there's a breakdown there where it doesn't matter how firmly I believe I can cross the interstate where people are doing, you know, 90 and a 70, or if it's a construction zone, they're doing 90 and a 55, right? It doesn't matter how much I believe I can cross that safely. I can't, right? And, and it's... You know, it's lined with um, raccoons and deer that thought they could. And their faith was great enough to make them think they could cross the road. But reality was greater, right? And so our faith is only as good as the object that we put our faith in. And so David here is saying, I am putting my faith in the Lord. And it seems simple, right? That's like, uh, duh, right? Like when you say God, there's, you know... Okay, we're talking about somebody who's smarter than me, somebody who's more powerful than me, right? By definition, when we say God or Lord, that's what we mean, right? Like, if you can't have a God who's less than you, 
And yet, as it plays out in our lives practically, so often we anchor ourselves to a God that is less than us. Or we try and anchor ourselves to ourselves, right? It's like saying, I mean, it's like, you know, I'm going to, you know, the phrase everybody says, I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Well, that's physically impossible, right? Like, I can't pull myself up. There's got to be something else, you know? Like, you can't just, like, what am I going to do, you know? Let's go, you know? It doesn't happen, right? So the object of your faith is important, and David is anchoring himself to the Lord. And as a result, he's able to say, okay, now that I'm anchored to the Lord, here's some of the flip side. I won't fear, or who should I fear? Right? If I'm anchored to the Lord, who should I fear? If the Lord is my defense, who should I dread? Right? What is there to dread, really, if the Lord is my defense? And then it goes on in verse 2. So, so we're kind of getting this picture, right? We're anchored. Like, yeah, yeah, they, the Lord is our light. The Lord is our salvation. The Lord is our defense, right? Who should we fear? Well, verse 2, when evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies. Huh. I've never had anybody try to devour my flesh, you know? I've, I've read missionary biographies about people who went and um, evangelized tribes of cannibals. And every once in a while, the cannibals would start telling stories, and they'd say, oh, <laughs> right? Like, but I've never had that happen. Um, David here is just, you know, it's like we anchor ourselves to the Lord and say, yeah, that's great. And then, oh, what's that mean, though? But somebody's coming to devour my flesh, right? Oh, I've got a, an enemy, Right? So, so it's, we can anchor ourselves real easy until the tide comes. Right? When you first drop in that anchor, you're like, it looks secure. I don't think I'm going anywhere. And then you get a little riptide. You get a little storm. You get a little bigger storm. And all of a sudden, it's like, wait a second, how good is that anchor? Right? What's the, what's the, what's the load bearer on that anchor? You know, how much, is that, is that in? Right? We start second guessing because all of a sudden now there's some tension. And so... It's good to start with, uh, you know, the Lord is my defense because that's a reality. The Lord is my light and my salvation because these things do come, okay? Now, I wouldn't say I've ever had anybody who I could truly define uh, physically as an enemy, right? Um, I've never had a human enemy. I've had arguments and misunderstandings, um, but never an enemy. But do we have an enemy? Yes, right? We have an enemy who has an entire army at his disposal. And Satan and his followers are obsessed with trying to devour our flesh, right? Um, so we anchor ourselves, but then we hit, I don't want to say we hit reality because we're still anchored in reality, okay? So it's not like we go from a daydream to a reality, but we're anchored and now uh, life's, life's kind of rough, but... Notice in verse 3, though. So verse 2, he says, When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, what's next? They stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. So David's got enemies. They're real enemies. David's got challenges. They're real challenges. But what happens when they come? They fall. Now, David... As we read the story of David's life, David had a lot of real enemies. And they did not always fall right away, right? David ran from Saul for probably somewhere around 10 years, 
right, as, as, you know, most wanted man in Israel, okay? That's not exactly like, yeah, my enemies came and then they, you know, fell. They kind of just went away, right? That's not, we, we don't usually address uh, 10 years of running for your life as like, yeah, yeah, they came, they saw, they left, whatever, you know. Um, but David is anchored. And so enemies fall, right? Now, his enemies didn't fall because he was anchored, Okay, his enemies fell. You know, David is believing the truth. So did his enemies fall because David was believing it? Or did his enemies fall because the truth is the truth? Right? David's enemies fell not because of David's faith in God, but because of God. And so, which is great, because each one of us, can you imagine if our uh, security was rooted in our, in our faith in God's stability? Right? I mean, so, under, you know, like, it, if, if, if we were only secure as long as we had absolute confidence in God, then what happens the first time, you know, like, <gasps> we started to, uh, was that a doubt? You know, like, don't think about doubts. What, what, crud, I just thought about, you know, like, uh, 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 what do you do? Right? But our, David's security is not in his faith. It's in the Lord. And so he's going to go on. But he's going to be singing praises to the Lord, okay? Because he's able to recognize that it's not that the enemies fell. It's not that his faith was great. It's that the Lord is the Lord. And verse 4, he says, One thing I have asked from the Lord, and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. So David here is now recognizing, okay, wait, wait, let's orient this, right? We got this picture, and David is orienting the picture for us, okay? So there's the Lord, there's David's faith in the Lord, there's the enemies, there's the enemies falling. And David tells us all of that, and now he says, so there's only one thing I really want, and that is to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, right? One thing. Now, if I'm honest with myself, I do not want just one thing in life. Right? I mean, if you, if you ask me to come up with 10 things that I'd like, uh, 10 things that I would like to have happen or that I would like to get in the next 12 months, I could probably do it in under 45 seconds. Right? If you give me coffee, I could probably do it in under 30. Um, no, there's a lot of things I want. Okay? But David here is saying, no, there's just one thing I want, and I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I just want to be in the presence of God all the days of my life. That is David's response to his enemies falling, right? And our normal response, whenever we have a victory, is, well, it's self-glorification. It's self-confidence. David says, you know what? All my enemies fell, and I just want to hang out with God. Is that our response? Is that our one thing, right? How do we, and so, you know, again, this isn't like, a trip because none of us can honestly say that we do this 100% of the time. But this is what we should be aspiring to, right? We should be craving the presence and the fellowship of God more than anything else. It should be our one thing, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life, to behold His beauty and to meditate in His temple. So, you know, we want to, if we're going to dwell in the house of God, we want to, it kind of connects in my brain to the word dwell and the word abide. 
connect. Okay, dwell is a little bit of the Old Testament word. Abide is kind of the New Testament word. Um, in John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he's getting ready to get crucified and then he'll resurrect. And he's giving, uh, he's giving them kind of the final rundown before he dies. In John chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So notice this. Jesus is telling the disciples here, you're already saved. Right? You've already been washed from your sins. What did David say? He said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Okay, we're already saved. Um, unless you're not, in which case, get saved. Right? It, it's a free gift. But um, you're already clean. So therefore, now that you're clean, John 15, verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So the Father is glorified when we abide in Jesus Christ. And by that, we demonstrate that we're cleansed, right? We're cleansed. You can be cleansed and not abide, right? And honestly... Um, whenever we stumble in sin, whenever we uh, hit a point, we're kind of doing that, right? Where it's like, ah, I'm saved, you know. Gee, uh, this would be a good time for grace to kick in, right? Or this would be a good time for your mercy to new every morning and afternoon. Um, you know, so there's that, but, so we're, we're saved, okay? So this isn't like a, a salvation trip, but this is a point of saying, you know what? We can demonstrate. We can abide in Christ and bear fruit. Grace is when God gives us the full riches of his presence, okay, so that we can bear fruit. Now, bearing fruit, I love how Chuck Smith says it. He says, bearing fruit uh, is a word picture from an orchard. It is not a word picture from a factory. Factories never bear fruit, okay? Factories, they have deadlines, they have time crunches, right? They have suppliers. They have input, inflow and outflow, okay? They have this whole system for exactly how many minutes and seconds does it take for each part to get made. And if we try and get in this, you know, I, I, want, I want to bear fruit for the Lord. Okay, so I'm going to make myself bear fruit. Well, that's not how you bear fruit. How do you bear fruit? How does the branch on a vine or on a fruit tree bear fruit? Well, it just kind of sits there. It, but it has one stipulation, and that is that it has to stay connected, right? As soon as it gets cut, there's no more fruit coming. So for us tonight, if the Lord is our salvation and our light, and we are at a point in our walk with the Lord where we are saying, you know, I want to hit that place where that is the one thing I want, that I want to dwell in the presence of the Lord, the, the glorious privilege that Christ gives us is that we can then experience fruit in our lives. And it's not because we made it happen, it's because we're just connected, right? Fruit can't help growing on a healthy branch. It just happens. 
And really, and the branch can't stop it, right? So if you are abiding in Christ, you are going to bear fruit. Um, so we're going to we'll keep moving on in 27, but just keep this in mind, okay? And I, I want us to connect this as well as we're going through Psalms overall. The word dwell keeps coming up in the Psalms. David keeps talking about, I want to dwell in the presence of God. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever, right? There's all this focus on dwelling. And oftentimes in the Psalms, not always, but oftentimes it's very future tense, okay? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And David is, he's looking forward to heaven. And for us, that's a great thing to do, right? We should all be just looking forward to heaven. I cannot wait for Jesus to come back. I am excited, and I think it's, well, it is getting closer and closer mathematically, but I think it's getting really close, right? I'm excited to see Jesus come back, but I don't have to just look forward, right? David is looking forward, saying, I want to dwell in your presence. I want to be with you. We can say, I want to abide with you right now. We have the opportunity and the option to abide in Christ. And so it's not just, I'm, so in the Old Testament, there is a little bit more of a sense of, I want to make something happen, not, not, on, not in works by salvation, okay, but because of the law, there is that sense of, ah, I just, I'm so aware of my inadequacy, and I want to try harder because I want to glorify the Lord more. And in the New Testament, because Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets, we can look and say, you know what, I just want to abide with Jesus, right? I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I just want to, I just want to be there. And so, uh, verse 5 and 6 in Psalm 27, uh, David goes on and he just, he's elaborating on God's protection. And um, he says, In the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He'll lift me up on a rock, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. So he kind of, it's almost like he contradicts himself here because he says, in the day of trouble, God's going to hide me, right? He's going to conceal me, and then he's going to lift me up and set me on a rock, and my head's going to be lifted up above everybody else. And it feels ironic. It feels a little contradictory, but really I think what David is saying here is, you know, I've experienced God's protection, and now I'm in a situation where people can see me and glorify the Lord, right? They can see that now looking at my life. And so if we experience God's protection, we say, you know, like God sheltered me from this. Okay. So now we're in a position where it might be that the Lord is kind of letting that situation rise to the surface so that he can get the glory. Uh, verse 7, he goes on, he says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me or forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. So, as David's going on, he's just, David's desiring fellowship, Right? David's saying, hey, hear me. God, please, please be listening. Right? You told me to seek your face. And I said, okay, I'm seeking your face. Um, so don't hide your face. Right? Mo David's got this. He's like, okay, God, you told me to seek you. I'm seeking you. 
So please help me to be effective in seeking you. And it's, you know, the nice thing about scripture is sometimes it's just that simple, right? I don't have any kind of elaborate thing, which is good because I didn't give it enough time to come up with anything elaborate. Um, but I can stand up here with the word of God and say, you know what? God is inviting us to seek him. And if we respond by seeking him, he will let himself be found. Right? I mean, the scriptures are full of the promises of God in this sense. Right? Uh, the Lord told Jeremiah, call to me and I will answer you. Uh, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. He said, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. He said, if anybody lacks wisdom, let, James said, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask. And God gives it generously. Right? The Bible is full of these promises. So we don't have to stand as Christians and say, okay, we've got a deadline to make. Right? We've got to get you know, 75 good works out the door by midnight tonight. We can say, no, we just got to bear fruit. You know, we get to abide in Christ. And that's so much more liberating, right? Because in a factory, and even and we think of it like this way. In a factory, if you make a big mistake, what do you do? You shut down the factory, right? I mean, if it's a big enough mistake, you got to shut down the factory. You are, now you, know, you got to clean out. If there was a chemical spill, you got to get rid of all the bad merchandise. You got to bring in new supplies. You got to call everybody. It's a, I mean, it's a nightmare when you make a mistake at a factory. When a branch makes a mistake, eh, you prune the branch. You pick off the bad fruit, right? It's, it's not, if we, may, if we are living in a factory mindset of Christianity, then it is up to us to stay on schedule. It's up to us to be up to production standards, which means when we stumble, which we do, right? Oh my goodness, right? It's the end of the world. Or at the very least, it might be the end of our salvation. But if we're just bearing fruit and we're connected to the vine, you know, sometimes we do stupid things. And sometimes it's like we, ah, you know, we're not bearing so much fruit. And Jesus says, okay, well, let's just get a little creative with the uh, snipping here, you know. And sometimes there's not much left by the time he's done pruning. But at that point, we're still connected to the vine, right? We didn't have to, we didn't have to do anything. We just... Stayed connected. And we said, God, I kind of was stupid there, you know, and I let the... I'm blanking on an analogy right there. But anyways, I did something stupid right there, and it's okay. You know, the Lord's grace covers that, and we can still bear fruit, right? I mean, there are people who have made just, you know, outstanding messes of their lives. Um, and that would... That would include all of us, okay? I mean, we're all sinners. But, you know, every once in a while, there's a story that just kind of stands out as like, whoa, that was intense. And the Lord can still bear fruit in that person's life. The Lord can still cause good things to come out of that. Not because the sin was good, but because the Lord can make all things work together for good. So David is just desiring fellowship with the Lord. And we get that privilege, right? We get that opportunity. We just get it in a fuller, more complete more available sense today than David ever had, right? David is writing with longing, and we can write with confidence. We can write with experience. David is saying, here's what I want. We can say, here's what I have. And that is really our, that is our great and glorious privilege that the Lord has given us. Uh, and then verse 13 and 14, as we're wrapping up the psalm, he says, I would have despaired 
unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. So David here is being honest, okay? He says, you know what? Honestly, I would have lost hope if I didn't think that I would at least see some of the goodness of God in my lifetime. Okay, that's just, that's just straight up honesty. David says, you know what? I know there's stuff coming, but thank God I still have an expectation, uh, at least to some extent, to get to see justice on earth, you know? And, and justice on earth is never complete. Um, but David says, you know what? I'm still, I believe that I can see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So then he admonishes us. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And so I love the way he, he connects the beginning and the end of this psalm. Okay, so he starts off, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And he ends by saying, wait for the Lord. Be strong, let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Okay, David understood having his enemies fall, but David also understood waiting a long time for that to happen, right? And David understood that sometimes life is not immediate, but he also understood that he can see the goodness of God and that waiting on the Lord produces that. And so as, as we're going through this, right, the Psalms are all about wait on the Lord, fellowship with the Lord. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of brutal honesty in the Psalms about, hey, God, here is my challenge right now, and I need some solutions, right? But in the midst of that, the Psalms are also, they're just packed with, hey, wait on the Lord. Hey, just fellowship with the Lord. Hey, uh, reorient your heart, right? Refocus. Hey, hey, you know, uh, I think it's Asaph says, basically, you know, I, I started to lose sight. I almost slipped because I started focusing on wicked people and how good they had it. And then I had to reorient myself. And there's just, there's that honesty in the Psalms. But we get the privilege of knowing the Lord and dwelling with the Lord. And so I want us, as we're wrapping up, to think about, okay, so we begin and end this by saying, okay, the Lord is my light. Wait on the Lord. The Lord's my salvation. Wait on the Lord. Well, who is the Lord? Because we emphasize that our faith is only as good as the object of our faith. And so... We, you know, we kind of gave a New Testament passage that explains a little bit about, you know, who Jesus is in terms of our relationship with him. Okay, but if you want to hear God describe himself, um, where do you go? There's a couple places, okay? In the book of John, Jesus gives seven I am statements. He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the vine. Uh, I'm the resurrection and the life. He gives some of these. But in the Old Testament, if somebody says, you know, where does God describe himself? Or what is God the Father like? We should go to Exodus chapter 32. In Exodus 32 and 33, Moses is having, uh, I'm sorry, 33 and 34. Um, Moses is having a pretty rough season, okay? And Moses is just, he's kind of fed up. And he's had it with the people. And he says, you know what, God? You've told me that you know me and you've said I've found favor in your sight. So if I found favor in your sight, do me this. Do this for me. Let me know your ways that I may know you so that I can find some more favor. And, and you know, I don't want to give Moses a hard time, but there's a little bit of a, he's kind of calling God out. Like, hey, God, if you're really going to do what you said, I'd like some answers. Okay? And he says, hey, I want to see your, you know, I want to see your glory. And it's not, 
it's not a bad thing, but you, just, you can sense Moses' frustration a little bit. And the Lord just responds so graciously. And the Lord says, tell you what, okay, I'm not going to show you all of my glory because that would kill you. Uh, you're, you're too mortal. You're too sinful to see it all. But I'll let you see kind of the, the traces of my glory. All right? And I'll kind of hide, I'll hide you in a cave so you can't see. My glory is going to pass by. And then I'll take my hand off from the entrance of the cave, and you'll be able to see, like, just kind of the, you know, the, the last little bit of my glory. And that'll be sufficient. And as the Lord goes by, the Lord describes himself. And the Lord says... Behold, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And then it says, it goes on a little bit, and then verse 8, Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your own possession. So Moses starts out and he says, you know, God, these people are rough and I'm having a pretty rough job and if you're going to really expect me to go along with people, I'd like to see your, you know, I want to I know you. I want to see your glory. And the Lord says, tell you what, I'll show you a little bit. It's enough that Moses literally glowed, okay? I mean, that's the, you know, the radiance of the last little traces of God's glory are that, are that e extravagant, okay? But Moses starts off with this one side of, God, show me your glory. God, you know, I want to find favor in your sight. You said you know me, but I want to find favor in your sight. And then, after the Lord describes himself, after Moses has this chance to see the last little bit of God's glory, Moses made haste to bow low to the earth and worship. And he said, if now I've found favor in your sight, Oh, Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst. Right? Once Moses understands who the Lord is, it's not so much about, hey, God, I, I, need, you know, I need these people taken care of, and I need to have more assurance of my relationship with you. It's, hey, would you just go with us? Right? Would your presence go with us? Moses gets anchored right there. The Lord anchors Moses. And Moses' response is, I need your presence. Right? He doesn't say, I need answers. He just says, I need your presence and your forgiveness. <clears throat> because when we become aware of God's holiness, we also become aware of our sinfulness. And so David is anchored into the presence of God, into who God is. And he wants to dwell in the house of the Lord. And for each one of us, if we can become anchored in who God is, then as the, the cause and effect, as you know, part of just bearing fruit in that knowledge, we will want to dwell with the Lord. And it's this beautiful, never-ending cycle where the more we dwell with the Lord, the more we bear fruit, the more we bear fruit, the more we want to dwell with the Lord. The more we want to dwell with the Lord, the more we dwell with the Lord. And the more we dwell with the Lord, the more we bear fruit. And it's just this cycle that goes on and on and on indefinitely, right? But we get to see it with Moses. We get to see it with David. We get to see Jesus give that invitation to us in John 15. And all we have to do is respond to it. Right? So we get the privilege of his word. We get the privilege of his Holy Spirit. We get everything that every uh, follower of God in the Old Testament dreamed about. And it is an open invitation for us to stay connected to the vine and bear fruit. 
So, God, we, um, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us, each and every one, to, um, to have that hunger for you, to desire more fellowship with you, to desire to want to know you more. I pray that you would just fill us, God. God, your, your word is full of promises um, to those who ask. And so we're asking, God, we ask for your wisdom. We ask for um, close fellowship with you. We ask for the fullness of the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We ask for understanding of your word. God, we ask that you would uh, just capture our hearts, God. God, give us a hunger for you and then fill that hunger and then give us a deeper hunger and fill that. And just keep us going on this cycle. God, we never want to stop drawing closer to you. So have your way with us. Please be glorified in our midst. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.